Welcome everyone to the Rise podcast. It's Quasi Millington here. I'm here with my special guest today, Scott Medlin. First off, thank you, Scott, for being on the podcast today. Oh, my honor. Thank you. Thank you. Scott Medlin is a U.S. Marine Corps veteran who went on to a career of nearly 15 years in law enforcement. In 2020, Scott began his journey to inspire and encourage police officers to be fulfilled and excel by focusing on their personal well-being in order to survive the career and better serve the public. Scott has spoken openly about his struggles with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, addiction, and depression. And we're going to get into a few different things. Uh, First off, I just want to say I went through your book and being a former police officer, it's an amazing book. I think it's an amazing book for anybody looking to build personal resilience and wellness, uh, but absolutely, definitely amazing uh, resource for police officers. First off, tell me, uh, I mean, this is your, is it your second or third book? And where was the inspiration for this book to be written? 101 Health Tips for Police Officers was my second book. And I wrote Mental Health Fight of the Heroes in Blue first, but I mainly dived into what I learned about how our brains are not innately wired to see what police officers are exposed to and how negative thoughts can also lead to negative feelings and negative feelings lead to bad actions and all this kind of stuff. But And then I ended that the first book with some solutions for mental health. And I just thought, you know what? There's so much more out there so far as solutions and how people can feel better. Let's just write 101 health tips and there could be 101 more, but, but it was just more of a solution oriented book versus here's the problem that everybody's talking about, or, you know, a lot of people are talking about, which is needed. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, I wanted to present practical solutions without confusing everybody. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and definitely wasn't. It was an easy read. I sat down and uh, I think I read it in two sittings and I just got a lot out of it. Personally, even though I'm not a police officer anymore, just as a person, I got a lot out of it. Uh, take me back to your journey. So your your journey through law enforcement and why you do what you do now. Long story short, Quasi, I started like a lot of police officers do, very enthusiastic. And, you know, you would do the job for free because it's just so awesome and fun. And I just underestimated how much the job can take a toll on mental and physical well-being. Uh, I did battle an addiction. I did battle depression. I'm not saying my whole career was miserable. I mean, don't get me wrong. There were just ups and downs. And the main thing is when I did hit a low, I made sure to get the help I needed to get out of it. But what really got me started on this journey was in 2020, I was still active in law enforcement. And I was 12 years on at that point. And that's when I learned for the very first time in my career that more police officers were dying by suicide. And that got me so mad. I thought, wait a minute, why am I learning this for the very first time? Hmm. And, and how come there hasn't been any training on this kind of stuff where literally I am more of a threat to myself statistically than the threat of being killed in a line of duty somewhere. It just made me so mad. And I thought, well, I've gone through a lot of struggle. And I don't mind sharing what I've been through if it just means saving one cop from taking their own life. And I started and I haven't looked back. Mm. Uh, I, I love that. And, and it's sad that you got to 2020 and you're how many years on? 12 years on? Yeah, 12 years on. You yeah. even realized um, that this was a statistic. 
Are you still in law enforcement or what are you doing now? I Well, as of the recording, what is it, May 3rd? Yeah, I, I turned in my gear March 31st to the chief where I was working part time. So I just got out of it because we moved out of state. And uh, I think it's better for my family right now that I stay out of it for now. And then but also this allows me more time to dedicate to speaking and instructing and and helping as many police officers as I possibly can. So, no, I'm out of it for now for for uh, uh, completely. Yeah. So you're out, but you're in, right? You're out yeah. um, <laughs> on the street uh, policing, but uh, you are helping police officers. And was there, I mean, besides reading the stat, did you know anyone that was going through mental health issues? Or was, was there something that someone that you saw that you said, okay, you know what, those are the type of people I want to help. Do you help all police officers or is there a certain segment that you, that you like to help? I like to help all police officers in the sense that education is key. And then uh, knowledge is not, I mean, I've heard that cliche phrase, knowledge is power, but it's obviously not power if you don't act on it. And, mm -hmm. and that's a great point that I've heard before. So I help police officers become very aware as to just how detrimental the exposure of what you see on the job can affect us. So that goes for all police officers. But then if there are police officers going through something like I went through a spell where I, I didn't think there were any good people left in society and I got very bitter. Okay. I mean, it's something is what you think is might be as simple as that can lead into a lot of other bad things. So I just want officers to become aware about internal risks and internal threats, just as much as you're trained and become aware of external risks. Like you approach a bad guy on the street or you approach a car in a traffic stop, you're aware of the potential threat in that car or that person might have a weapon and these things become instinctive as to what to look for but yet police officers are not over over all trained on what to look for internally so that's my whole thing let's be aware how we're doing on the inside and if something's going wrong on the inside then by gosh i want to help as many police officers understand what's going on and where the help can be to either get the assistance or what they can do to strengthen themselves and build that resilience so they can work their way out of it. Because it is possible. You can, no matter how low you might be, you can rise up. And you are firsthand proof of that with going through PTSD and going through addiction. And you've written books now to help other officers. You have an amazing uh, YouTube channel, 10 Code Mindset, if I have it correctly. Yep, that's um, it. And Thank it you. just there's so much good value on there. Now, have you found that certain police, certain types of police officers are uh, receptive, more receptive to your content? What I mean by that is sometimes I know when I was a police officer, the older 30 year veterans or the 20 year veterans were like, uh, you know, I am who I am. And it's, it's something, it's a trait that older people have in general, but in policing, it seems to be a fixed mindset. Whereas if you get a rookie, they're more likely to listen and absorb the information that someone like yourself who has a lot of experience can offer. Uh, have you found any pushback on this type of content? The pushback that I have received has been on my YouTube channel where sadly some veteran officers have replied back that they hated what law enforcement did to them. They, they hate the job. They don't want anyone to get into it. That's the kind of pushback I have gotten openly, uh, mainly on my YouTube channel. I do believe that this kind of stuff regarding health needs to be uh, really taught heavily in the police academy and then set the, set the newer officers up for how to continue it. And then 
But at the same time, when I do speak to veteran officers, particularly ones that are older than me, I tell them, look, I'm not coming to you as someone who just knows it all. I, I'm not. You, you've got more experience in life than me. And then I sell them. I'm not calling you old. I'm just calling you more experienced. <laughs> but but I tell them, look, I, I'm coming to you as someone who has gone through post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, addiction. I don't want you to go through that stuff. And if you are going through it, I can help you get out of it based on what I've learned through research and experience. I'm just here as someone who's got your six when it comes to mental health. I'm here as backup. I'm here as your friend, not someone who's here to shame you by any means, because that's not a way to work your way out of anything. Mm-hmm. And and then they're more receptive. Like I did a in-person gathering in the state of Maine at a wellness conference early March. And when I said that, I, I could see some shoulders kind of drop a little bit. And, and they, they went from looking at their cell phones to watching me more just to let them know I, I'm not a know-it-all. But what I am is someone who definitely has done my time with based on experience, but also with research. And we're all human and we can help each other through this. Mm. I love that that humble approach. Um, and yeah, you see people that have their arms crossed, but then they open up. Um, when you go into these training sessions, um, without getting into all the content, what are the maybe one or two things that you see officers need the most help with that they respond to the most when it comes to you going in and speaking? <laughs> How do handle being so overwhelmed with the the lengthy policies the the laws the paperwork on top of having to be on top be on your a-game in every encounter which is obviously expected and fair i get that but they just feel overwhelmed and they don't know how to get past being overwhelmed not not everybody but that's that's kind of what i've seen overall So once I present solutions about, hey, hey, guess what? Guess what? The same brain you have that can be your downfall with negative thinking and and hopelessness or being overwhelmed, it's the same brain you can build up to handle anything. Mm -hmm. So you remember who you are, why you're doing what you're, why you do what you do and you can, and you can rise up. You know, I'm trying to use the word rise, you know, to help with your podcast there. <laughs> awesome. no, no problem. But no, I mean, just just the, the feelings of being overwhelmed. And then also uh, some some of them really don't know whether they want to stay in or get out. And I help them to gain clarity on that. I'm not saying I try to talk them out of it. I'm just helping them gain clarity because clarity is obviously a, a great human principle for success, whether you decide to stay in or, or get out. Yeah. And, and I can hear the passion. Every time you speak, I can hear the passion and the caring that you have for other officers. I wanted to ask you about a couple of things in your book. Uh, the book the, the book that I just read, the one-on-one health tips for police officers. And one thing that really struck me is that you, on page 49, you talk about looking at traumatic events from a third-person view. Can you explain that? And I think that's a concept that anyone can use, whether you're an officer or not. But yeah, uh, I like that concept. Uh, Yes. So first off, let me say, I'm not a medical professional. (laughs) This is what was explained to me when I got home from my second deployment from from the Iraq war when I was in the Marines. Uh, There was a close quarter. There was a close mortar fire incident that almost killed me. Honestly, I I believe it was a miracle from God I survived it because even the Marines in the front of the convoy looked at those of us who were under that attack in the back of the convoy and they said, how the heck did y'all survive that? So anyway, Unfortunately, that scenario or that not scenario, that that incident kept replaying in my head over and over and over again for about a year. 
And it led to symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. And, and when I finally reached out for help, because my dad actually told me, I'm losing you. Like our relationship is suffering. I'm losing you. Please get help. I went to a doctor who, uh, who um, was uh, treated people through neuro-linguistic programming. Mm-hmm. And he said, Scott, you're reliving the situation. Every time you relive a situation, you have a physiological reaction where basically you're still there. He said, mentally, you stayed over there. Physically, you came home. Basically, he worked with me as to how every time I thought about that incident, I was able to disassociate and and not have the same emotions that came with reliving the situation. So you basically think about it third person, and it's a way to disassociate all the feelings and emotions that come with when you actually went through the incident. And that right there was a big game changer for me. Uh, and, And unfortunately, I didn't implement it enough sometimes in my police career but it's something that everyone can be aware of. And if, and if you really want to take it to a point where you can get it to be instinctive, then, then yeah, I would, I would recommend you look into neuro-linguistic programming form of treatment. Mm. Um, and so just to clarify a little bit, so when you say third person, so for any incident that you go through is, so first person is, is I'm there. Can you explain the difference between third and first person just so it's totally clear? Yeah. First person is you see the incident occurring like you were still in it. You, you, you think you were, your, your brain took a picture of that moment and it's rehearsing it again. And you're just thinking about it, reliving it. Uh, third person is you can actually see yourself in it. Like you step out, hover above yourself and see okay. yourself in it. Kind of like right imagining right. you're watching a movie of yourself doing it. Exactly. And, okay. and, and that can be the start of the process of disassociation. Uh, and it's, it's, it's very powerful. And it sounds so strange that you're still looking at the incident, but because you are observing from, you know, afar almost, it's okay. And you can relive it again, but in a different way. And it's almost, it's a healing process because you're not in it anymore. And it's, it's hard to imagine that being effective because you're still playing the events, if you will, but now you're playing it from a different perspective. Right. And that's, that's kind of the simple version of it. The doctor who treated me, who actually wrote an excerpt about this stuff in my first book, Mental Health Fight of the Heroes in Blue, Dr. Bob Bodenheimer, he treated me and I don't mind telling people that Uh, he would have me hone in on what emotions I was feeling. And then eventually we would counter it with positive emotions. So like I said, I'm not a medical professional, but that's a simple way of explaining how, what was kind of the roadmap to my healing and obviously, you can get a lot more involved with it through a professional. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And uh, it's funny that you said that I'm not ashamed to say I saw a professional. Do you still feel that there's that stigma to seeing a professional? It makes you weaker. Do Is that starting to change finally in policing? I, I think it's starting to change. I think the main concern now is a lot of police officers don't want to seek help because they're worried it might affect their job or, or, or their supervisors will ask questions and stuff like that. And it could hinder their, their job performance, but, but not job performance, but hinder uh, how they're viewed on the job by coworkers. I think, I think promotion, that type of thing too. I I think that's the biggest concern, but there was a psychologist uh, who, who spoke at the same wellness conference I did. And she made a good point. She said, uh, she likes to tell her clients or, or those people asking, Hey, like, will my job found not find out if, if I seek care. And, and, uh, and she said, well, I tell them, well, no, they, they, they could find out, but eventually if you keep 
going down this road, they'll find out either way because you're just so far gone in mental health issues that eventually it's just going to come out in a bad way. Yeah. And isn't it, shouldn't it be looked at as a good thing, right? I mean, you sought mental health. You actually had the ability to recognize you were going through something and you sought help. You're the type of person I want leading others. That's, shouldn't that be <laughs> the mentality? Absolutely. 100%. But I do believe a lot of police officers are concerned if they go get help, it's going to somehow come back on them, and which is totally wrong. I mean, I've, I've even uh, spoken with plenty of psychologists and other people about this. And no, I mean, there's, there's, there's HIPAA rules in the United States. I mean, it's, I, believe me, I sought treatment for all throughout, you know, when I was going through a hard time in my police career, the police department never even found out about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I can't speak for everyone, but I'm just speaking for myself. And seriously, like they, they never heard about it. And, and no, I don't think it's weakness. I mean, it's, it's self-awareness and it's the courage to act so that you can do that much better for yourself and the public. What's wrong with that? Nothing, nothing at all. And you posted a video on your LinkedIn from Les Brown at one point. And one thing he always says is you don't ask for help because you're weak. You ask for help so that you can remain strong. Yep. And, and I think that applies more now than, you know, ever, right? Um, one of the things that you talk about in your book is, is the importance of gratitude, of getting your mind right. Um, and we've heard it so many times. And I know that in our in the profession of policing you can get jaded about little terms like that oh yeah just wake up and be grateful i'm still gonna see abc on the road today i'm still gonna see traumatic events what's the power of gratitude in your life and how do you share that with officers who maybe see you know violence dead bodies all kinds of things throughout their day how do you just tell them okay be grateful in the morning how do you present that yeah it's, <laughs> it's definitely very difficult all i do is just share from a personal experience that i was depressed I was hopeless. I knew I didn't want to stay there. And the psychologist got brutally honest with me and said, I can only do so much for you. You're going to have to be the one to change. And here's a way you can change your thought process. So he had me write down three things in the morning that I was grateful for, and then three things in the evening. And it led me out of this depressed, hopeless, negative looking or negative perspective state. Yeah, so I just share my experience. And I just yeah. say, and, and, and that's say when you tell it to me like that, I think, okay, yeah, you know what, I could buy, I could buy into that as well. Uh, right. One thing you actually said in the book, and I, I believe in gratitude as well. I, gra I have a gratitude journal. Um, I like what you talked about on page seventy-seven from Victor Perichin about naming seven blessings for a day of the week, and the first day is a blessing that came to you from a family member. Second day is from a neighbor, third day from a friend, fourth day from a work colleague, fifth day from a stranger, sixth from a child, seventh, a blessing that came from an enemy. Have you ever tried this process? I mean, I, I just love this because it gets so specific. And I'm a guy, I'm a details guy. Sometimes, you know, you wake up in the morning and it's the same blessings, same gratitude every day right. for my family. I don't get very creative some mornings, but this gave me a new way to be creative. Have you ever used it yourself? I've used it, but I haven't been consistent with it. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's it's great because uh, especially the the blessing from an enemy. Uh, sometimes that that's probably the hardest one because you don't yeah, like yeah. someone. But what's the blessing? Hey, maybe it teaches you how not to be. You learned something uh, about yourself because of someone doing something that wasn't so kind to you. Um, I was I I've often interviewed first responders on the podcast, and I always ask a couple of questions because I love to get the perspective. What is the part that internal pressure 
plays on the stress of officers as opposed to external pressure. And what I mean by that is sometimes, you know, there's a lot you see when you go out for duty, but you almost are prepared for all that. But then you get the infighting, promotional, you know, politics, that type of thing. Um, have you seen that in your career? And what do you advise when it comes to someone who says, you know what, yeah, I'm trying to be resilient, but my boss, my sergeant is just coming down on me. And what do I do about that? That's a tough one. Uh, yes, I've, I saw it throughout my several years. It, it was always helpful when I had a leader as my supervisor versus just someone who was a manager. And mm. I, 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 being blunt and honest here, it the internal workings of a police department are very crucial to those who are having trouble with uh, seeing eye to eye with a supervisor, or they do feel the internal pressure of management and find someone who can inspire you find, find a veteran officer or find just a friend who can, who can help, help you even be that out, the outside person looking in. There was a point when I was going through internal, like an internal pressure. Actually, I was going through my first formal internal investigation because of something another officer did. And I did nothing wrong, but it was still a very crappy feeling being brought in and, and the meeting was recorded and all this. So I reached out to a retired police officer. Did he work at our department? Heck no. But was he able to keep me focused and to keep me inspired to continue to show up for the people that call 911? Yes, he was. So you have to do something. That's the thing. Like if you feel this internal pressure and you feel overwhelmed, you just can't stay there. I'm not saying leave your department. I'm just saying you can't stay there mentally. You've got to take action, whether it's uh, watching YouTube videos that inspire you to help distract your mind from the stress or reach out to someone who you know can help lift you up. And, and hey, I've got your six. So if you need me, I'm there for you. And six means back. If for those yes. who are not police officers <laughs> listening, right? I got your back. Six, like six on the clock. It means behind you. <laughs> some people may not know the term. I love it, but That's I mean, right. some people may not know it. Uh, talk about how do we know? I mean, whether you're a police officer or not, sometimes you go through things and you think, okay, well, I didn't just brush this off. This was something I got to, you know, man up or just get up and, and get about my day. And there's sometimes when you got to just suck it up and move on. But there's sometimes when, okay, I've got to a point where I do need to seek help about this. Can you talk about where that line is of brush it off versus I need to go talk to somebody? Yeah, obviously, if there's some kind of pain in your life, you can't get away from whether it's the pain of addiction or pain of losing someone in a relationship or the pain of getting out of shape or uh, something like that. Yeah. And and recently I, I sought help from a, a professional because I had I started having panic attacks during the process of my family moving. I, <laughs> I don't mind sharing it. And, and she explained the great analogy that you basically feel like you're a hamster in the wheel. You know, you're running, you're running, you're running, you're running, but you're not going anywhere. That's when it's time to seek help. That's when it's time to say, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. I need to evaluate. And if I can't figure out how to get myself out of this and, and I'm not getting myself out of this, doesn't mean I'm weak. It just means I'm human. There's other sources out there. Okay. And, and so there's that hamster wheel. So if you can't get yourself out of it, and I don't mean to ask for a specific number, but how do you, I, I guess, say, okay, I've tried two or three things. They haven't worked. Let me go see someone. Is it two, three things? Is it a week? Is it a couple of days? I know it's not the easiest question. The answer is different for everybody. Right. But yeah, is there some kind of, you know, alarm bell that's 
okay, I've passed the point. I'd say when your health is starting to be affected, like I was having panic attacks, that's not good on the body, body, obviously. So literally I had to stop packing up the house like I was doing. So it got in the way of my daily activity. That's a bell going off saying, all right, let's get to the bottom of this. Uh, other things. I mean, if someone's kind of slipping away from going to the gym and they can maybe try a few weeks to get themselves inspired to go back. Okay. Yeah. You might not need to seek professional assistance, but, but uh, eventually if you're, if you're like, wow, no, really, I mean, I, I'm, I'm straying away and I don't know what's pulling me away. I'm listening to that voice that's saying, stay at home. Let me, ha- let me have a friend hold me accountable. It doesn't have to, it doesn't mean that you have to go to a licensed psychologist, but just seek someone else. If you know, something is, is, is affecting you and you're willing to take action for it. But yeah, it definitely does. Uh, you know, it's just case by case situation. I, I'd, yeah. I'd say it honestly depends on the severity of it, obviously. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Uh, you seem to be well in tune with, okay, when I need to get help and, and whatnot. Um, if you could go back and make yourself the strongest person to start your career, what would a good daily routine look like for you? Because you probably have established one now, but you wake up in the morning, what is your daily routine like? And what would you recommend to someone starting out their career? To anyone starting out in law enforcement, one of the best tips I learned was from Brian Tracy, wake up two hours prior to having to report anywhere. That way it gives you time to work on your mind, to work on your you know, spiritual being, your physical being. It gives you time so that you don't wake up in a rush, jumping, reporting into the rush. Mm. I, I didn't have a morning routine or an afternoon routine when I was working night shifts. I, I, I just, I didn't have a routine and I didn't take time for me. I thought, now I did, I did work out. I did stay in shape. Like physically, I, I would work out. So I thought, well, I'm going to the gym. I'm good. <laughs> no, <laughs> I didn't take time to write. I didn't take time uh, as much as I should have to write down positive intentions for the day or things to be grateful for. I didn't stay consistent with it. So that, that was something. Wake up, give yourself time because when you report into work, who knows what you're going to be up against. And if you're already up against yourself, then that's just going to be that much more damaging to you. Uh, Another thing is be human. I mean, just accept the fact you're human. I know we put on this warrior mentality and I get it because you have to survive in a struggle sometimes and you have to have that warrior mentality, but let's not socialize, let's not associate that with being these stoic warriors who just fear no evil and know no pain. No, you can't escape being human. <laughs> and I think we police officers get into this mentality that I'm good, I'm fine. And I've said that too, because I didn't want other people to know I was upset. Even if you're on the scene of a, of a horrible crime, just tell someone like, yeah, I'm not saying you have to break down and cry. No, because you have to maintain your bearing on scene. But like if someone says, hey, how you doing? To be like, that made me sad seeing that. At least be honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't say I'm fine and squash it down and, you know, internalize it just so it can fester inside, and, you know, affect your cells if you want to get technical about it. Um I mean, I could go on for two, three hours about what a new police officer <laughs> should do. But I do, I, I do, I do believe in a strong routine, uh, and 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 just staying physically fit. Because when you were on my YouTube channel, Quasi, we talked about it. Physical fitness not only helps you stay in shape, so it's a safety issue on the job, but it can help with your mental state as as well. 
Yeah, it's all it's definitely all connected. Um, and so now, do you have a morning routine? You know, your go to in the morning. What does that look like for you to make sure that you set yourself up for a positive day? Because you strike me as someone who has energy, who has positive, who has direction. What does your morning look like? Uh, I wake up early, even when I don't feel like waking up, which is a lot of times. So it's that discipline to get up and do what you need to do, even if you don't feel like doing it. So I, I get up uh, uh, two hours before I have to, I try to get up two hours before the kids wake up, but sometimes they wake up so early. It's just like, dang it. But uh, I do, I do give myself at least an hour. So I will wake up, I will go downstairs. I will drink a, a big glass of water with apple cider vinegar. I will get my cup, a cup of coffee, and then I will sit down and I will read my daily scripture and then the daily gospel. And then I will, um, and then I'll write down uh, gratitude from this thing called the rise journal. You might've heard about it. So <laughs> Thanks I'll for do, the plug. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll write, I'll write that out. And then I meditate. I don't do it every morning. Sometimes there's just some mornings I'm like, you know what? I'm just not going to meditate right. And, but when I do, it's five to 10 minutes. It's no more than that. But, but when I do, but when I do it, it helps. I'm not going to lie. But sometimes I like to get right to reading. That's one of the biggest regrets in my life is that I really underestimated the power to build someone up for success uh, and, and being able to navigate through life by reading constructive material. Mm-hmm. So I like to make up for lost time by reading. And then when I'm done reading for about 20 minutes, I, I, I do a workout that lasts 20 to 30 minutes, and then I'm ready for the day. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a powerful routine. And you have so the mental and the physical are all combined together. Um, one thing I thought was interesting that you wrote in your book, and it's about relationships. And I read in a, one of the books I, call, I read called Resilience by Southwick, I think is the name, that the power of your personal relationships is the biggest factor determining your ability to be resilient. So talk about having friends outside of your profession. It is a must. I know police officers who only hang out with police officers. That leads to just being over-invested and consumed by a career that's not going to last forever. Hmm. And, and having friends outside of law enforcement is absolutely crucial because it helps you to break away from it, but also as we saw through the pandemic, being, being with people is very crucial. Uh, People need people. I'm not a big fan of the lone wolf mentality. Like just do your own thing without, you know, a good network of friends. I believe we need each other. Um, But let me play devil's advocate for you uh, for (laughs) just a second. Uh, The pushback to to that, that I've heard is number one, uh, when I get around people that are not police officers, they have a policing question anyways. They want to know about something that's gone on in their life. So I end up talking about policing anyway. So I may as well have police officer friends. And then number two, due to shift work, it's hard to have consistent friendships uh, with people if I'm working a Saturday, Sunday, for instance. <laughs> There's right. two problems for you. <laughs> First one, entertain their question and then make sure the conversation goes somewhere else. <laughs> okay. uh, because what people, what do people never mind doing is talking about themselves. So when they ask you about policing, yeah, okay, answer the question, tell the story, and then ask them about themselves. I guarantee you, they're not going to refuse to answer your their your question about themselves. <laughs> and then what what was the other what what was the other one? Um, the the other one, or what was it? So oh, shift work prevents friendships from being able to be consistent. 
Uh, shift work prevents a lot of things, but the thing is, if you make it a priority, you'll find a way. And and the great thing about technology and cell phones, you, you can call someone, even if you're working on shift, make, make those relationships a priority because it will definitely, it will definitely help you in the long run. So make it a priority. It's just like with time. People say, I don't have time. I don't have time. When you make when you make something a priority, you all of a sudden the time just magically appears. It, it, it does. You're right. Exactly. Yep. And, and yeah, you could use the same excuse for having kids. I don't have time to do this because. I have <laughs> right. well. yep. um, so uh, where are you located exactly? Anyways, I'm in Florida. You're in Florida. OK, yep. all right. I just didn't ask that in the beginning because you did policing uh, in Florida North, as well. No, no uh, North Carolina. OK, North Carolina. And then now you live in Florida. I'm so yeah. jealous because it's always warm down there. So yeah. <laughs> uh, one final concept I want to talk about as we're getting close to the end here, you talk about not putting expectations on others. And that really struck me when I read it in the book, because, uh, you know, my personal story, you know, I went to jail for something I didn't do. And I had a point where I did put expectations on others. I thought, OK, I expect this person to write me. I expect this person to visit me based on the relationship I've had with them throughout my life. And you say, don't put expectations on others. Has that been something you learned in your life? And what's the benefit of that? I will, I will tell you when I did hear it was maybe six, seven years ago, I was at daily mass and the pastor got up and he's, and it was right before Christmas time. And he said to all of you traveling or meeting up with family <laughs> to avoid conflict with family, please don't put any expectations on someone. And it was just a huge light bulb moment. I was like, Oh my gosh, that's been my problem the whole time. I just expect people who don't change or people who are a certain way to be different all because I expect them to be, or would want them to be. It doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. And when I just heard that, I was like, ding, 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 ding. So it just kind of lays the stress off of failed expectations, which can lead to a negative feeling. And you know, you don't want that. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's helped immensely. Yeah. And I also say, you know, you, you can't put your faith in people. You put your faith in God. He's perfect. We're not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Love it. Um, selling police officers on volunteering. I forgot to talk about that earlier. Oh, yeah. Uh, you talk about uh, vol volunteering, get involved in a good cause of volunteering. I imagine you must have had some eyes roll when you tell someone who helps the public all day long, who's giving, giving, giving of themselves to the public, now go out and give some more of your time. Absolutely. Benefit. I, I, and what's the pushback on that? <laughs> I called the I called the elephant in the room in the book. I said, I basically was quoting someone saying, Scott, are you crazy? What do, what do I do for my job? I don't have time. to. I'm not going to spend more time giving to others. Look what I do as a police officer. I get it. I understand what you're saying. However, when you go out of your way to volunteer or go out with groups who are doing great things with the community, then that helps foster relationships, which are so important. And, and as Les Brown says, you've referenced him once. I'm going to bring him back up again. When you do what is easy, your life will be hard. When you do what is hard, your life will become easy. And it's not always easy to put others ahead of yourself and to uh, take that time to volunteer. But the more you do it, the more you can be better for society, even when you're not working. Plus, when you're not in law enforcement, you'll know other ways to continue to give to the public. Mm, yes. Uh, there's a book I read called Resilience by Eric Greetens. Uh, he's a former Navy SEAL, and he talks about something called mission continued. Sometimes 
we have this hyper vigilance as officers. And then when you are retired, you're like, what do I do now? And yep. as someone who served in the military, thank you for your service, by the way. <laughs> um, have you found that being able to have a purpose now after policing, after the military has given you new life uh, as you go through life? Oh, absolutely. I, I believe if, if people don't have a purpose, if they don't feel a passion for a certain purpose, then uh, it can lead to some very bad things such as depression, uh, feel, not feeling valued. I mean, heck by themselves. So absolutely have to have a purpose. We, we, we were put on this earth for a reason. And if, uh, that means you have to do something for other people somehow. So yeah, mission, mission yeah. continued 100%. Uh, well, I, I want to thank you for your time. I want to thank you for your service. I want to thank you for your books. I want to thank you for giving and helping others because I know you do it for police officers, but people can get so much to value from your material, whether they're police officers or not. But I think this book should be given out to cadets, to new recruits as they're starting their career, because you, you start off on the right foot and it's just gonna create a ripple effect and help everyone everywhere. So thank you for writing this. Thank you for what you do. And before we finish off, how can people get a hold of you, whether it's bringing you in to deliver your workshops and just actually talk about what you deliver and uh, where, can, where people can find you? Yes, uh, thescottmedlin.com thescottmedlin.com and if you want to follow me also on youtube uh the 10 code mindset we just topped 2500 subscribers and we continue to grow. So, yeah thank you thank you so uh you know i mean people might some people might think well that's not many compared to other channels look if i can't be grateful for what i've got now then i'm not going to learn to be grateful as the journey continues it's all about the journey at this point just helping police officers and if i'm inspiring one then mission accomplished, but I'm going to keep going because I know there's more. And and uh, also uh, excited to announce that I am in the process of working on a new book, and this will be strictly for rookie police officers. And that will be the goal to have this book that I'm that I'll be finishing up within the next few months. Uh, to at some point, yes, yeah, some academy will say all of you are getting this book that Scott Medlin wrote. It has to come with it. Awesome. And I'm going to buy a copy as well, too. I'll be in line with it for oh, it. Thank you. Uh, thank you once again for being on here. And thank you for being such a good friend as well. My honor. Appreciate it.